We are in the season of Lent, and as we continue our sermon series on which I will reintroduce at the beginning of my message, we're going to be looking this morning at just a few verses from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you'd like to look that up and follow along in your pew Bibles, that's found on page 1165. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. These words are from the Apostle Paul, written to the church in Philippi under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Scripture tells us. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know that I've mentioned this on a number of different occasions here, but one of the extracurricular activities that I did when I was in high school was to run on the cross-country team. Now, for those that are uninitiated, cross-country is all about running. The events that you participate in are three-mile-long races, and in order to be in shape for those three-mile-long races, you have to put in a lot of other miles in practice and in preparation in order to run those races. Now, even though I was on the team, truth be told, I was not good at all. I was never competitive. I had uh, several teammates that were way faster than me, and I not, never got even close to meddling or being involved in the, the winners of any race that I ran. In fact, I didn't enjoy the running part at all, especially in high school. That was not what I looked forward to. So why would you participate in a sport that's all about running when you don't even enjoy it? And the reason was because of the friendships that I had. I joined the team because close friends of mine joined the team and they said they needed more people to run and I thought, oh, why not? And once I was on the team, I found great deep friendships that I formed while we ran and, and, and enjoyed time together. The memories I have were few of the races that I ran and much more about the time that we spent in practice putting in those miles and just joking around together, having conversation while we ran. It wasn't the activity that I enjoyed, but it was the community that brought it together. Now, on the other side of that, there were events and activities that I enjoyed much, much more on the surface of it. Playing basketball with an intramural team or flag football or uh, being in plays. But yet, as much as I enjoyed those activities, there were certain times when I was put on a team or with a group of people that I did not enjoy. And as much as I liked the activity, I dreaded the practices and, and even the performances because the people that were there took it far too seriously or thought too much of themselves and bullied other members of the team. And as much as I enjoyed the activity, the community around it was disappointing and divisive, and therefore I did not enjoy it. 
And in many ways, both of those highlight an incredible truth. Far more than what we do, the community, the unity that we enjoy can make the biggest of difference in whether or not an activity is something that we appreciate and look forward to or whether it's something that we try to avoid. As I said, we are in this Lenten season, this season of the year where the universal church especially takes this time to focus on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to think about how we are called to respond. And that's where our focus is this year as we look at that text from Romans 12 verse 1 encouraging us to be living sacrifices centered around this idea, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. And last week we began by focusing on how we are to offer our hearts to God in worship, to sacrifice worship of all other things and to prioritize our devotion to the one true God. And this week, using Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're going to talk about offering our hands to one another in community, in unity. That's the word I used. Uh, and sometimes that will mean, often that means sacrificing our own ego in order to get that. In the way that the sermon series is presented, the whole idea is that if we know what Christ did for us on the cross, if we know about the gifts of his sacrifice in his death and resurrection, then how are we to respond with our lives? And, and that's the way that this very passage itself is set up as well. The text starts with Paul listing a bunch of gifts that we've received when we turn to Christ in faith and are united to him in his sacrifice. Verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, in, in Greek, when you use that word if, there are ways that you can, different ways that you can say it where the author can indicate to his audience whether he's assuming a negative answer or a positive answer. And in this one, when Paul uses that word if, he's not saying like, I don't know if it's real, but he's suggesting that there is a positive answer behind it. And so as another commentator says, in some ways, this could be formed as rhetorical questions where Paul is asking the church, do you have any comfort in Christ? Yes. Do you have any comfort from love? Yes. Do you have any participation in the Spirit? Do you have any affection and sympathy? Yes and yes? Well, in highlighting those things that the church has, that Jesus has already done for the church, the response is, well, if or since that is all true, we're not just to celebrate and hold on to those blessings that we have, but we are to turn them back to God, to use them, to develop them, and to share those with others. Which is where Paul goes next. If all of this is true, which it is, then, he says in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And in all of our texts, that's the basic command. 
that as disciples of Jesus, recipients of his grace and members of his church, we are called to fight for unity in mind, in purpose, and in love. And in many ways, unity is what the church is all about. When you think about how the church is described in the New Testament, so often the images that are used are a collective of individuals coming together to form one unit. In 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at the idea of the church being a body made up of different organs and parts. In other texts, it talks about the church as a building being a whole collection of parts. The Bible talks about the church as a family, as a flock all of these collective bodies coming together and that's what we're supposed to be and in fact the fellowship of the church is so important that we are obligated to join it one of the confessions of our church is the Belgic confession that says in article 28 that there is no salvation outside of the church and that to withdraw from the church or to not join it is contrary to the will of God. Furthermore, in another confession in the Heidelberg Catechism, it teaches that whenever we speak in the Apostles' Creed of the communion of the saints, what we are speaking about is our duty to use the gifts that we have in service and enrichment of other members. We need to be here. God wants us to be gathered together as his unified people. Now, while putting it that way can sound a bit heavy-handed and regulated, it's an obligation that many of us are happy to fulfill. Most of us have experienced the joys and the privileges of being part of the family of God. This morning, again, we baptized little Cammie Scatman, and we welcomed her as a member into this fellowship. And in that moment, we made the promises to Cammie that we've made to every member of this church, that we will receive her, receive you in love, that we will pray for you, that we will encourage you and, and, and train you and, and keep you connected to the body of believers what I often stress is the joy of that promise for us as individuals is that we are a church that I believe is faithful to those promises. And it's not just to the children. Those are promises that aren't just made to kids, even though it's often made to infants in their baptism. But these are promises that we are called to keep throughout people's lives. And what a joy it was this week to not only visit with a family that was having their child baptized, but because of family visitation, to visit with our oldest member of our church, with Severin Dole at 98. And to hear how he too still is using his gifts to bless this church and feels blessed by this church when he is prayed for and encouraged and supported. What a blessing indeed it is at all times of life, but especially in times of need when we know that we don't walk this journey of life alone, but we have a community around us that supports us in times of need that holds us accountable when we wander and stray, and that encourages us as we grow in our relationship with the Lord. By the way, that's what's often missed when people stop coming to church. 
I've often heard people say, well, well I don't need to be in the building. I, I experience God out in nature. So why do I have to come and sit in a pew for an hour on Sundays? Or they'll say, you know, I, what a blessing we have an online church, and, and yet how good it is that you can hear this message, but when you're not present, you miss those conversations. You miss being aware of who needs prayer and who needs your support, which again is why it's so important for us to be here in fellowship and in community. What a blessing to be part of a church. And it's not even a blessing experience in a local congregation, but in the universal church. How many of you have had experiences where you visit another congregation or you go to a seminar or a big Christian conference and there's a joy in just knowing immediately that you are surrounded with fellow believers who all are united in their faith, who because you are a Christian, you feel this bond and you know of it. When we are united, when that goes well, that becomes an attractive draw to others. I often think of Acts chapter 2 in this light where it talks about the church and how they were united in their study of the word and they were sharing their gifts with one another. And because of that strong fellowship that they felt, it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And what an opportunity that becomes for us. We clearly live in a culture, in a world that is very isolated, that is very individualistic and anonymous. And there are so many people in our world that don't know friendship or fellowship. What an opportunity as a church we have to say, come, join us. Be a part of a community where you're going to be loved, supported, and encouraged, and, and cared about. Being part of the unified body of Christ is truly a great gift that we enjoy. But of course, as soon as we hear that command and reflect upon some of the great pleasures of what it is to live in a community that is unified in love, mind, and purpose, we also have to acknowledge how hard it is to maintain that unity. Even if you have just two people, two people that love one another and are committed to each other, you still will not always be of the same mind. Two people means two minds, which means two opinions. And then when you get to three, four, five, and hundreds, you have that many more minds, opinions, or ideas. And it's hard to keep united. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden... When the serpent was tempting Adam and Eve, at the heart of the temptation was the idea that in God telling them not to eat of one of the trees, God was holding out on them. That God wanted to restrict them, that he was trying to isolate them and, and keep them under his control. And so when they gave in to them temptation... At the heart of giving into that temptation and eating of the fruit was basically saying to God, I don't want you, yes, even the God who created all things, I will not let you tell me how I am to live my life. And that's how we continue to treat God. And if that's how we treat God, saying, you, the king of the universe, are not going to tell me how to live, well, how likely are we to accept the input or guidance of other human beings 
if God can't tell us how to live. And in that unwillingness to allow for other people to offer input and to think that we have the right to to control our own decisions and actions in our lives, that can quickly become a cancer that destroys the unity that we are called to work toward. And that's where Paul warns in verses 3 and 4 of our text, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you make a choice and you are in community, do you say, well, I'm going to do what I want, or do you sacrifice what you want for the greater good of others? I'm sure that all of us have seen multiple examples of where when people have their own ambitions, where they are conceited in their thoughts, where they quickly dismiss the idea of others because they are clearly not good ideas, and where their pride gets in the way, and then all of that quickly leads to the destruction of community. And that destruction, that lack of unity, does a couple of things. First of all, as often as we see it, It gets the church to focus inward rather than outward. If our main opponents in this world are the people that we are trying to defeat and argue against and and win over in our discussion our fellow church members, well then that's where all of our focus and our attention is going to be. We're going to be bringing our arguments and, and fighting amongst one another, which means that our focus is there or here instead of outward. Instead of asking, well, what are the enemies of the world trying to do to us? And how do we bring this message of hope to that hurting world? It changes where our focus is from where it should be to internally. Another thing that that kind of egotistical conflict does is that instead of being an attractive draw to people to come together, becomes a, a, a deterrent. Again, I can think of experiences where you visit a church and you can just feel the tension amongst its members. It's like sitting at a Thanksgiving table where you know that there are just conversations that aren't being had and people aren't talking about it. And there's just this tension in the air and all you want to do is just get up and walk away and leave it. And that happens in the church. Where you talk with someone that attends a church and and all that they share is their struggles with the problems that they have with other members. And and how they can't believe the decisions that are being made. And that only makes you say, well, I would never want to go to a church like that. Why would I want to join in to a conflicted, broken community? And the only way to avoid that kind of negative and the maintain the unity called for through is through humility. The command is to be willing to sacrifice your own wants, your own desires and hopes for the greater good of your fellow believers. And no doubt, that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes other people have bad ideas. Often, others can have their own agenda that they are clearly pushing. And there are times when others are just flat out wrong. And so being of one mind is not 
easy to do at all. And the reality is sometimes there does come a moment where because the other person or another person has forsaken the truth, or because they have acted in inappropriate ways where that community, that fellowship, must be separated. But I fear that too often that becomes the first option. And the attitude of people is, well, it's either my way or the highway. And instead of discussing toward unity, the first option is taken, which is separation. Which is why Paul then goes on to explain our model and our example. Well, I knew I wasn't going to have the time to get into all of what comes next in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2. It is a necessary continuation of what we just read, where Paul says that if I'm inviting you to do this, I'm going to remind you of the fact that this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. That he did not think of his own desires, needs, or wants, and what was best for him, but he was willing to submit to the will of God. Yes, sacrificing what we want for for what's best for us personally for the sake of others is hard to do, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He never was saying, I want my will to be done, but it was in fact the opposite. Let me read off several texts. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26.39, it says, and going a little further, he fell to his face and prayed, saying, my father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. All of that is a reminder that the attitude of Jesus was, I will always and forever be guided by God's desires for my life. And in doing that, that led him not only to a death, but a painful, awful death on a cross, sacrificing himself for us ungrateful, argumentative, self-centered followers so that we could be saved. In an effort to be the church, to be the blessing that God has called us to be, we should be more than willing to sacrifice our own desires, our own wants, our own egos in order to ensure that the kingdom is built that the community of God thrives, and that all the world will see this is where God is at work, where he is alive, and where his message of hope and grace is being proclaimed. And that's my great hope for this church. So very thankful, often, always, to be a part of a congregation where I see much of this regularly played out where we have a united council, even during difficult times of struggle, where I see examples and hear in family visitation of the love and the support of people who bring meals, who write cards, who pray and talk to those during times of needs. This is a great congregation where we are blessed. 
My prayer is that that blessing would continue to be expanded more and more again so that through our unity, more people will be drawn not to us, but to the God that we serve together in sacrifice of our own egos. So may indeed this be a place where we are offering our hands in fellowship and unity to one another. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we start where we always must, with an appreciation of the great things that you have done for us, undeserving sinners. Because we are a self-centered people that often speak and think of even you rejecting any input from you on our lives. And we do that with others. And in having our own agendas and desires and pride and selfish ambition, oftentimes that has and does destroy the unity that you call for from us. My prayer is that we will be a humble people. That in recognizing what you did for us in coming to this earth and being rejected by humans and going to the cross and sacrificing all that you had in order that we might be forgiven, that that is a model that we would be willing to follow. Humble us, O Lord. And I pray that this church and our denomination and your church universal would be united to the best of our abilities so that your kingdom could be proclaimed, your name be honored and glorified, and that more and more saints be drawn into a relationship with you. May your kingdom, your church, grow through our efforts because of what you have done for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.